hello. 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 How's it going? Pretty good. Oh no, here she goes again. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Um, I burped away from the microphone. You know, I'm sure that our listeners are very appreciative of that. You're welcome, listeners. So, all, lots of you, actually. You guys are great. We love you. Listeners, we love you. If you're hearing this, we love you. We appreciate you. We're glad that you're here right now to share in this joyous and momentous occasion with us today. It's a good day. It is. Um, just right off the top, I would like to say hello and welcome to episode 48 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, I am good. That's good to hear. Yep. I'm really excited about that. Good. Um, And to her right and my left, due to the circular nature of our table, is Sid. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah? I got a burp again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is why uh, Sid's like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go get a soda okay. directly before the I podcast. I have a huge headache right now and I am, if I don't get some caffeine in me right now, I will die. My head will explode and blood will go everywhere and Tom York will just start playing. Wait, like he'll come here to play? Yeah. So we we kind of want that then, right? Yeah. I wouldn't mind having a well, private Tom York concert. I don't want to miss it. Sid, sometimes... I don't know how to explain this to you. Sometimes <laughs> you have to make sacrifices for the ones that you care about. But maybe instead of your head exploding, it'll just be like the back of your neck gets sliced. Yeah. I'm not so you too can still be fond here. of that either. But we'll just lift your head up so that you so can, that you can see. Yeah, you can still see, <laughs> see Tom York. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm okay with that one. Okay, okay Tommy right. boy, here we go. No. Um, today, we will be discussing Luca Guaragnino's Suspiria. Uh, Suspiria stars Tilda Swinton. And that's it. And Tilda Swinton. And Tilda Swinton. And that. Who cares about anyone else? Yep, a lot of Tilda Swinton in this movie. Uh, yeah, but she's all over the place. Uh, Suspiria is a 2018 uh, horror slash dance film um, about horror and dance. And uh, I learned when I saw this that I have a real inclination and affinity towards horror movies that are about dance companies. So <laughs> I did a quick Google search and found that uh, there's basically just the two. Uh, this in black swan <laughs> so um anybody out there who has more horror movies about dance studios please send me an email at contact at wewatchpodcast.com uh with those movies i would be excited to watch them uh furthermore this kicks off our final week of 31 days of october the 2019 edition we did it we made it we're here Yep. Look at us go. Um, if you are uh, new to the podcast, this year for 31 Days of October, which is our yearly tradition of watching horror movies the whole month of October, uh, we organized things like a film festival each week of the month. It had a theme. Each week had four movies. 
So, um, but this week is a shorter week, so it only had three. Now, this week, um, we kind of eschewed any uh, topical theme and just went with house picks, meaning that each of the three of us chose a movie to watch. And I bet you can't guess which movie I chose for my house pick. What was it? It was Suspiria. Oh, that's why we watched it? Yeah, that's why. Okay, yeah. that makes so much sense. Um, but yeah, so that was my pick. Uh, Becca, what was your pick? The Babadook. The Babadook. Uh, we also watched that movie last year. Um, and did an episode on it. Did a full-on episode on it. So if you're interested to hear our thoughts on The Babadook, we did an episode on it about a year ago. That's crazy. That is weird. That was a year ago. Yeah. Hmm. Jeez. So did you think that uh, when we started this that you would be friends with us for that long? No, I didn't even think that when I met Becca in seventh grade. (laughs) We uh, just can't get rid of each other. I guess I'll just get rid of her next year. She's still sticking around. And here we are, what, like 15 years later? Oh my gosh, I'm so old. No, that's not 15. 15. Like 15 years was like 12. 7th grade was like 15 years ago for me. So it'd be like 10 or 11 years ago. Like 10. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Ew. Yeah. Um what was your pick, Sid? Uh what we do in the shadows. Ooh. That so funny. Um since we don't have an episode on that, why did you pick that? Um I was like kind of looking at like horror movies that I love and like a lot of them were stuff that we watched last year or it's just like stuff that I guess like people would like pick for our favorite scary movies and that one is just like it's a very it's a light tone it's about it's like a mockumentary on these vampires and it's got like Taika Waititi and uh, Jermaine Clement and it's just it's so funny but it's also got like this creepy aspect to it and it's it's just kind of like a nice way to round out 31 days of October just kind of laugh a little and yeah right on I think we were planning on watching that tomorrow weren't we uh, we're a little bit behind we've got a few movies to watch. yeah we're a couple <laughs> movies behind we'll get it done before the end of the week this year we will watch every movie Last year we didn't. It's and Sid isn't watching every movie nope, this year. Nope, I sure am not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a delight, though. That movie is just it's so funny. Yeah. Um, if you are behind at all, or you are curious as to what other films we watched for this month, um, there's a list of all the movies that we watched at 31daysofoctober.com. It's a website I built. Go, Andrew. Yeah. Um, no, I built it, and it's just like... It talks about uh, each of the themes, what movies we're watching for each theme, and where you can stream said movies. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, apart from that, I don't know if there's any other uh, preamble for this one, right? I'm stoked to get into it. Let's do it. I'm actually a little bit not stoked to get into it because I'm, I'm not sure what score I'm going to give. Ooh. I haven't decided yet. Well, you have like an hour to decide. I know. It's going to be tough, though. This is going to be a tough one, guys. Um, I guess spoilers from the outset. Uh, Suspiria was my favorite movie of last year. What just happened? I accidentally hit the microphone. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I'm just a mess today. Maybe a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Suspiria was my favorite film of last year, so I've been itching to talk about this one. And I basically have to bribe Becca to watch it. So, 
So here we are, finally. And now I will never have another excuse to get her to watch it ever again because That's I already true. used my birthday and I already used the podcast. So we'll so figure now it I out. never have to watch it again. We'll figure it out, though. <laughs> uh, let's jump right in. Here's how it's going to work. Um, we're going to go over our hot takes, some quick opinions, after which we will dive into our in-depth discussion. Following that, we will have Trivia Sid. Sid read the entirety of this movie's IMDb trivia so that you don't have to. And she picked out the best of the best. Um, after that, we will assign a score out of 10, at which point this movie will be ranked on the Weston scale which is the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10. It is the end-all be-all, the ultimate authority on how good a movie is. Forget your Rotten Tomatoes. Forget your IMDb's. Throw it out the window. You don't need it. You don't need it. Just us. All you need is the Weston scale. So, sorry we only have ratings for 50-some-odd movies. Everything else, you're on your own. Yeah, um, but hey, if you want to see where something stacks up on the Weston scale... Um, maybe there's a way that you can let us know, like emailing in to contact at wewatchpodcast.com with your suggestions for us to cover or sliding into the DMs on Instagram or Facebook. We do actually take listener requests. We, we absolutely do. a couple times. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dancer in the Dark, which is one of the highest rated movies on the Western scale was actually a listener request. So is Alien. Alien was also a listener request. Yeah. Well, folks, let's jump into it. Let's do some hot takes. Don't burn yourself on these hot takes. It's my favorite part of the show. I just love doing <laughs> I, that. I know it is. I can tell. It's so great. <laughs> Becca, how hot is your hot take? Um, I think it's pretty hot. <sighs> Make sure you blow on it. <laughs> um, I enjoyed this movie. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that's a very hot take for these guys because the first time i watched it i like very much hated it like a visceral reaction to it <laughs> like yeah it it was bad i hated it like we all saw it together in the theater and on the drive home like i kept trying to talk about it and becca was just like i hated it so much <laughs> <laughs> i did couldn't like, even have a conversation about it <laughs> well it just made me feel so gross and i just like I don't know. I, I didn't like how it made me feel. Um, second time we watched it, I didn't hate it. Didn't love it either. I just didn't hate it. <laughs> Still improvement. This time, I actually enjoyed it. I feel like I, like, got it, I guess. Yes. Not that there's, like, a, a ton to really get, but, like, I got it, and I have always enjoyed the dance sequences i just have hated the um terrible death sequences that are the dance sequences <laughs> you can't have one without the other and so i didn't like that and i still like don't love that but the dancing is amazing obviously the music we'll talk we could talk about that forever the music is amazing um and yeah i enjoyed it so that's my hot take that's so hot. <laughs> Sid, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Yes. Um, I liked it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs>
I think I made that joke like a few weeks ago. It's, Lame. I'm sure we're the first podcast to ever make that joke. Uh, so, um, yeah, I remember seeing it the first time, and I just like wasn't sure how I felt about it, and but I remember as I was kind of like writing my little review for Letterbox, like I like came to realize that I actually really liked this movie, um. And yeah, I just reread my review and like I stand by like the music is great, the cinematography, the sound design, it's all so great and it works so well together. Um Oh shoot, I forgot what I was gonna say. Maybe it'll come back to me. Anyway, that's my hot take. All right. Uh my hot take is very hot in that obviously I love this movie. If I named it my favorite film of the year then I obviously loved it. Um, And I think that I love it a little more each time that I watch it. This is now the fourth time that I've seen it. Um, We went and saw it in the theaters, the three of us. And then (laughs) I went back, I think, either the next day or the day after. I remember listening to the episode where at the other topics we talked about watching it. And you were like, yeah, I liked it. I don't know if it's one that I'd see again. And then, like, two days later. Well, but I guess that's the thing. Like, yeah, coming out of it, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. Like, sure. But then, like, it just kind of stuck with me. And there was a handful of sequences that, like, I was just dying to see again. Um, And those brought me back to see it again in the theater. And then the second time seeing it in the theater is when I was like, holy cow, like, this really is something else. Um. And that's when my love for it was solidified. I am, I'm a, I mean, longtime listeners of the podcast and anybody who's talked to me about the awards season will know that I think that the, the Oscar category that is missing is best sequence. I think there should be like an award for a best individual segment of a film because I'm a big sucker for like a really, really effective sequence in a movie. And this had three or four that I just couldn't get out of my head that I wanted to see again. Um, it's the same thing that made me see Annihilation three times in a week in the theaters. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like some movies just have like such effective sequences and they translate so well specifically to the theater atmosphere. That was really the one, the thing with Annihilation is like, I was like, I know I'm going to buy this. I'm going to watch it at home, but like, I'm never it's never going to be the same as seeing in the theater so loud and huge and all that kind of stuff, but that's another movie. We have an episode on it and it's great. Um, but yeah, this one, big, 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 big fan. Love this movie so much. Um, it has not even just for a horror movie, but like my favorite score in recent memory. Um, I'm trying to think of movie scores that, I actually listen to independently of the movie. Like I sometimes listen to Blade Runner 2049 because some of those like big droning synth tracks are just really good. But like, as far as just putting it on as an album, I think this is the only one that I currently am am frequently listening to. Swiss army man. I listen to that one a lot. That's a great one. That is a great soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this is, this this is is a good one. In my opinion. Well, I'm jumping in and sharing my opinion. In my right. opinion, you're all wrong. The greatest soundtrack ever is Shrek 2, all right? Get off the podcast. I know what I'm talking about. Okay. Maybe you're right. Who knows? It is a really good soundtrack. It's a fine soundtrack. I stand by that. Okay. Cool. 
Um, point being, uh, and again, longtime listeners of the podcast will also know that I'm a huge sucker for films that just like go for it, that have like just completely, totally audacious ideas that like if you just read them, you'd be like, how are you even going to pull this off? And they just go for it. And this is one of those films that like narratively just goes for it. It's not as like visually bombastic as some of the films that I've um, given credit to in, in that aspect. But narratively, it, it has a cool idea that could very easily become very confusing. And I think that that's probably the biggest drawback of the movie is that on the first watch, at least some of the narrative doesn't totally connect. Well, we can get into that. Point being, I love this movie. I want to watch it again. Um, like right now. Um, but, yeah. Instead, I'll probably just go see The Lighthouse again. <laughs> we'll talk about that in other topics. Um, but yeah, let's dive in. Okay, I want to talk about your point that you just brought up with the narrative. A little bit. Um, this, this is going to touch on a couple different things. But I just want to explain why I think... I hated it so much the first time and enjoyed it now. And I didn't want to share it before because it's like got a lot of spoilers and whatever. Anyway. Um, so one thing that Andrew and I talked about after the second time I watched it with him after it was on your birthday. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Um, is how. Um, wow. I just forgot all of their names. Susanna, Susie, Susie, Susie. Susie. Yeah. <laughs> the main character. Yes. The main <laughs> character. Um, how, when I first watched it, it felt like she was just being like taken over by this demon who was mother superiorum. And like, I was like watching this process of like this innocent young girl being like taken over by this demon. And then the company being taken over by that demon I guess and that's how it felt and that's why I didn't like it so much and then after the second time watching it Andrew mentioned that he thought she was Suspiriorum her whole life Mm -hmm. and this time watching it I like totally picked up on that and I totally agree with that as far as the narrative goes that Susie is Suspiriorum and always has been she just didn't always know And I think that the um, camera work adds a lot to that, especially in the beginning. Like when she first gets to the dance studio, there's a few moments where the camera gets really shaky and it like focuses in on one thing. And I didn't understand those scenes before, but this time watching it, to me, it felt like Suspiriorum coming out a little bit and maybe like recognizing the studio or recognizing... Um, the other witches or whatever. And then there's a few times where you hear like Susie breathing. And then there's also someone else breathing. Like it sounds like two people breathing. And it I does didn't that. I pick up on that. That's really cool. Yeah, it does like little, very subtle things like that a lot in the beginning. And I only picked it up because we talked about it last time. And I was kind of looking for it this time. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for it, I noticed it everywhere and it was all really subtle but like really added to the fact that like she is superiorum and then the obvious one being her um dream sequence when she wakes up and says i know who i am and shouts that like 
that's when it all kind of comes together. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that like that helped me understand and get it better and enjoy it more. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite things to say is that the best horror movies are just family drama dressed up with supernatural elements, right? That's what makes something like uh, Hereditary or Midsummer or There's actually Babadook. A really good YouTube video that I think you should watch. Oh, really? Oh, what's it called? I'm very curious um, about this. Yeah, I've had it in my watch later because I wanted it to tell you guys. Okay, it's just called How to Make an Effective Horror Movie by Screened. It's pretty good. It talks about. Oh, what movie is it? I know it talks about Hereditary. By Screened. Okay. I will add that to my watch later. And I will have. Oh, he talks about the Baba Duke, the witch, and Hereditary. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I, I guess I'll mention those same ones. Maybe I'll finally have my opinion validated <gasps> by somebody who has 216,000 views on their video. <laughs> it's more than us. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. Um, so, I've been saying that for a while, though. And I think. I think the first time that I really started thinking about that as like a consistent theme was probably an episode about hereditary. Yeah. Um, the idea that the best horror movies are just family drama dressed up with some horror elements. So yeah, so hereditary midsummer, the witch is a really, uh, effective example. Um, the Babadook, uh, this kind of takes that and modifies it a little bit. And really what this movie is, is a political thriller dressed up with some supernatural elements. Yeah. Like, this movie is not about witches, necessarily. This movie is about a power struggle. Mm -hmm. And because my biggest confusion coming out of watching this the first time is I was like, why did they spend probably a total of like 30 to 35 minutes of the runtime on this outside conflict? right happening in germany Mm -hmm. and the reason is is to give us it kind of gives the audience a grounded reference of a power struggle and so the power struggle within the dance company is mirroring this struggle that's going on outside right because the first time i watched i was like this is just so random like why even bother including this but that's why it gives us a frame of reference as to the struggle that is going on inside of the dance company because really the story here is not of Susie Banyan going to a dance company learning how to dance getting taken over by witches whatever the story of this is of the struggle between Marcos and Blanc and the fallout that comes from that and really what I what I love so much about this movie, because I talk about how there are so many sequences that I just wanted to see again. And last year I did call the like head exploding bloodbath at the end. I called that my favorite sequence of the year. I think I have shifted my opinion though as to what my favorite sequence in the movie is. And I think it's the epilogue. I think like mm. it's less obviously flashy than uh, death incarnate going around exploding people's heads but it it it's so cool in what it does as far as subverting horror movie tropes in a really effective way because you come out of this movie feeling 
like Mother Suspiriorum is a good guy. Yeah. And like she's kind and uh, forgiving. Uh, not to the people who voted for Marcos, obviously, but like it takes, you would expect her to, you know, when Mother Suspiriorum returns or any of the three mothers really, you expect when they return that it would be some sort of like crusade or that they would want to expand their power or take over things or whatever. But really, the reason that Mother Suspiriorum even comes is because Marcos has so uh, perverted the ways, like the, 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 the methods and the ways that Suspiriorum established that she basically needs to come to uh, get things back on track. Right? Like, that's the whole purpose of Suspiriorum. It's not to, or like, that's the whole reason that she uh, returns, so to speak is because she needs to get things back on track. It's not to... And I guess that's where it leaves some ambiguity because we don't know what on track is, but I get the impression that she's not pleased with them sacrificing young girls to their own vanity, basically. Yeah. (laughs) And so you would expect that when one of the three mother witches returns that she's going to be evil and all these things, but she's not. And I, I, uh, like I said, I think that's such a cool way to subvert our expectations when it comes to horror movies and specifically movies about witches. Well, I think it's kind of like, she's still like scary. She's a witch. Oh yeah. She's terrifying. But she's like (laughs) taking down these people that we've seen as the bad guys throughout the whole movie. All these, um, witches who are supporting Marcos and like supporting just like sacrificing girls and like being nonchalant about it. So I think it's like she's still a bad guy, but she's like lesser of two evils, kind of. Yeah. And because like we follow her in the story the entire time, like we don't expect her to be the bad guy until the end. I feel like it's easier to not see her as a bad guy. Well, I, uh, like I said, I even think like they do some some setup of it beforehand because there's the um, there's specifically the scene where um, Klemperer is talking to Sarah and kind of going through Patricia's journal with her and Patricia's research into the witches, and that's the first time that we have mention of the three mothers, mm-hmm. and so the first time I see it at least. Um, I'm listening to that and I'm hearing, oh, you know, there's these three witches or the, uh, so we have this coven of witches who we know are sacrificing young girls, right. Or murdering them in, in gruesome ways. Right. We've seen that before this point in the movie. And so when you tell me that they serve one of the three mothers, I'm thinking, oh shoot. Like if that's these guys, then the three mothers are bad news. Yeah. And that's the first time as well that he's like, Mother Marcos claims to be one of the three mothers. And so even then, when, you know, it turns out you get to the end and we're having that big old sequence and Susie comes in and, you know, is talking to Marcos and the whole, there's the whole like, for whom were you anointed? And she says, Mother Suspiriorum. And then Susie's like, I am she. Like, my heart drops at that moment because even kind of subconsciously the movie has set me up to believe that Suspiriorum is going to be this intense uh, destructive force right and she is well she, like we see she destruction is. immediately she, after. she absolutely is to the people who 
like I said, perverted the things that she set up, right? Yeah. And then it flips it all on its head when she goes and sees Klemperer and does him like this huge kindness, essentially. Yeah. And like that's... Those are probably my favorite lines of dialogue in the film when she's talking to him. And she's like, we need guilt and shame, but not yours, doctor. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just like, it's, it's, I don't know. That whole sequence I think is so, so, so effective at one tying up the story, but also it, it almost acts as a twist. I feel like that it turns out she's not just like walking down the street, you know, exploding random people's heads and doing destruction and all that kind of stuff. Like, for, like you look at something like the end of the witch, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you know, you have this witch in the woods serving the devil, and at the end, you know, she murders the entire family of innocent people who didn't do anything, and then, um, the, uh, what's the girl's name in the movie? I don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. Who plays her? Um, it's, what's her name? Um... Uh, Anna Anna Taylor Joy. Anna Taylor Joy. That's right. She plays Thomason. Thomason. That's right. So Thomason essentially sells her soul to the devil because she's been broken down. Also, sidebar. Mm-hmm. Robert Eggers has two movies coming up. Two two of the movies that he has coming up have Anna Taylor Joy in it. Ooh, I'm super down. Are any of them set for a 2020 release? Let's see. I doubt it. He likes to take his time. My phone decided to stop working. That's all right. Um, it's because it knew I was looking at devilish things. There you go. So basically, Thomason sells her soul to the devil, goes out, and there's. it turns out it's not just one witch, it's a whole coven, and they float off into the sky and look super evil, right? Like, that's what you expect to happen at the end of a witch movie. Yeah. And so this takes that, and it has the big bombastic moment of heads exploding and violence and all that kind of stuff. But then, at the last moment it twisted on you and it says, well, she did that for a specific reason and she's actually not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I think it's, it's a really cool way to end the story. Very satisfying. And uh, like I said, it's, it, it's subversive in a really satisfying way. Yeah. Well, and it never even explains the purpose of the coven. Like, are they just witches? that are witches and they don't really do anything, just dance. I think so. Or, yeah, so it's like, well, that was the sense that I got as well. It's not like they are going out murdering people or being evil just to be evil, but they just want control over the dance studio. Well, and you even get that, like, you get the impression as well that this, this descent into the sacrificing of these girls is not, the like was not always the guiding philosophy of the dance studio right you really get the impression that it is uh exclusive like it turns that way exclusively because marcos has decided she doesn't want to die and they even say like this ritual hasn't been done like in a very 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 long time what do they say like in written history or something like that so like they don't even know if it's possible what marcos wants to do so like this whole idea of you know, killing and torturing girls is not what the dance studio or the coven itself ever was meant to be. And I think one of the more effective portrayals of that is when the chick with the huge glasses kills herself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 
it's been transformed and warped into this uh, thing that she's no longer comfortable with, but doesn't have an escape. And so she kills herself. Like it's, I don't know. Like, but I guess to your previous question, like, I don't feel like the movie has a need to explain why the, why the coven is. Yeah. Right. Like they just are. Yeah. Because the important part of it is that power struggle between Marcos and Blanc. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I think that's why the end comes off the way it does though, is with mother superior. I'm not feeling like this awful person, but she just wants to get the dance studio back the way it should be and the coven back to yeah. doing what it should be. Well, and maybe, I mean, thinking about it now, maybe the point of the coven is to give a group of women some autonomy like that's one of their biggest focuses as as kind of they discuss their philosophy in bits and pieces um like a lot of their guiding principles are based on you know women having financial um she specifically mentions financial autonomy um but really i uh, they in several different ways they talk about just you know women um I guess being the dominant force in their own life. So maybe that's the purpose of the coven. I don't know. Yeah. I could see that. And Suspiria and Marcos just took that and like I said, started sacrificing people to her own vanity and trying to mm-hmm. obtain a new body. So it's all about girl power. Yes. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's honestly, I was picking up a lot on it in like definitely in like autonomous ways, but also like, um taking control of like your own sexuality and really there's hardly any men in this movie well and even the most prominent male figure is played by a woman yeah and the only two men who like are actually like have lines are the cops and they're seen as idiots and they laugh at his small little dick you know yeah um so yeah i think it is definitely kind of about like female empowerment but also like kind of showing that um women can take advantage of other women like marcos does yeah for sure so just kind of like not going too crazy with it and like taking advantage of others i want like a prequel to this movie of kind of like the rise of marcos because you get the impression that this has been going on for a little while when she like burns her bra in the name of (laughs) feminism and then her her boobs just start leaking yeah (laughs) Marcos is very leaky at the end. Sid pointed that out, and I couldn't stop seeing it <laughs> after that. I couldn't stop either. It was just coming from everywhere. Yeah. Specifically the boobs, though. Yeah, they definitely leaked. And why you the little hands? Yeah, why does she have little hands growing out of her? That was so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just from like um, past rituals gone wrong. Ooh. Like she like sort of transformed, and that's why she's like still alive but shouldn't be because like they keep doing something and something happens but not the way it's supposed to so she keeps getting more gross i really like that idea because there were even when sarah went down and found patricia and olga there were a couple other bodies down there too and there were like either missing limbs yeah that's a super good point so maybe that's why huh and it's not just Patricia and Olga that have. Mm-hmm. There were like other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just to kind of close up the topic on the narrative, I I just I love that the movie kind of has the guts to go for, um, 
it's it's actual main narrative is not involving the protagonist basically like it's the main and most compelling narrative of the film is happening behind the scenes <laughs> and we are just witnessing it in the same way that the protagonist is and that we're getting it piece by piece right mm-hmm. um but the movie does really it, it sets up kind of those two parallel narratives really effectively uh one being uh you know the story of Susie and the other being the story of the coven um you have the intro with uh patricia which i love because i love movies that manage to there's there's a, a dave chappelle does a bit on one of his netflix stand-up specials that he he basically comes out and he's like i am the best stand-up comedian alive and he's like and i'll tell you why he says because i will tell you the punchline of my joke right now and when i get to it you will still laugh your ass off and so he tells the punchline to the joke and then he starts the joke and gets the punchline and it's hilarious. And I see this as kind of an analog of that. Like from the outset, Patricia is like telling you everything that's going to happen basically. And, um, it still manages to be, uh, really tense and compelling throughout. So that's one. Two is then we get the setup of Susie, right? We get the incredible credit sequence of the Tom York song over the images of Susie's house with her mom dying and um, that great little uh, plaque at the beginning that's hanging on the wall. It says, what does it say? Like a a mother is uh, someone who can take any place, but whose place can never be taken. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Oh, I have a, sorry, I have a question about that. Is her mom... Did her mom die before she left or is her mom dying while she's there and dies when she... I think that her mom dies because this is so... And this is just because um, I, I guess uh, my point is I don't see a reason to do this if it didn't have a purpose. But the the actress that plays the mother is the same actress that plays death. Mm-hmm. So I don't see a reason to do that if it, if it, it, if it wasn't connected in okay. some way, right? So, and it, it even, there's some flashbacks like during the ritual at the end to Susie's mom. So I think she dies right there and Susie brings her back as death or, or Suspiriorum brings Susie's mother back as death. That's kind of what I was thinking this time around. I hadn't thought it before, but even mother Marco says something to Susie, something along the lines of like, you have to kill your mother. Yeah, she doesn't like, say kill, it. but she has she something said, about you have to... Like, uh, what, what's the word that she uses? You have to, um, like, denounce? forsake. You have to forsake. Did she say denounce? I don't remember if she says... Uh, yeah. Basically, she says, say that she's not your mother and that I am your mother. Yeah. yeah. And that's when Susie is like, to whom were you anointed and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. so this time around, that's when I imagined... Her mom died. Well, yeah, because they even cut back and show her like taking a big gasping breath, and I took that to be that she died. And then it it, it it's so obvious if you think about it because she does the whole like, <gasps> and then the next shot is of death walking up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just didn't put it together the first two times. <laughs> yeah. So jumping back is you get the really effective setup of Susie's story, um, and uh, like I said, that just the awesome shots of of her house and her family and her mom dying and them cleaning her and her getting, you know, anointed by the, the uh, local priest and whatnot. And then it cuts out and she, you know, is, is in the subway and you see the, the title on the, 
um, on kind of the, the marker in the subway, which I think is really cool. There's a really cool throwback to the original movie and you see the, the police, you know, busting some punks in the subway. That's like cut from the original. Um, one of the things I want to talk about in a little bit are the ways that this calls back to the original, but is not in any way a remake of it. Um, and then you get that other sequence, um, starting chapter two or act two rather, um, where you get that just kind of drum beat with the piano and it does that just absolutely incredible tracking shot all throughout the, the witches quarters and you get the voiceover of them voting between Marcos and Blanc point being you get these two parallel narratives set up right at the beginning and then they both keep progressing and you get little breadcrumbs of the witches narrative but really we see it all through Susie's eyes and so you're totally excused to I uh, miss what I think is the actual narrative narrative of the film which is the power struggle between Marcos and Blanc but they're, they're set up really effectively and then just move forward together until they kind of come back together uh, during that last ritual sequence. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on the narrative. I, I don't want to take like the entire podcast just to talk about the narrative because there's so many other good things about this movie. Um, but, yeah, is there anything else you guys wanted to say on that? No, no. I think, I mean, it just takes a few times to get it, like, yeah. that's why I hated it the first time, it was, I was neutral the second time, after the third time, I feel like I get it, and actually enjoyed it. Uh Awesome. Um, let's talk about some of the actual filmmaking going on here. How do you feel, Sid? It's so good. It's so good. Oh my gosh, just, like, there are things that, like, I pick on that I don't normally pick up like the editing is awesome the sound design is amazing like i mean the cinematography is normally something that you know it's hard to miss because you're looking at it but this one it just like really stands out and just like all the the jump zooms that they have and like the i shaky love cam. those i love the jump zooms oh they're so awesome and just like the the one shot of Susie in blanc's quarters and Blanc is like in the bathroom and she turns around. Susie's like right next to Oh, the and it's camera. like super bokeh. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah, it's a really cool shot. Yeah. This just, uh, this movie's just so good. Um, two things that I picked up on more so when it comes to the craft of this. One was the editing. Mm-hmm. I never like paid the editing a ton of attention before this time watching it, but this time it just blew me away. It's so aggressive in the way that it's edited, but it's also like the similar to, I'll say the same thing about the cinematography. The cinematography, I wouldn't use the word aggressive. The editing is aggressive. The cinematography is uh, really technical, but neither of them are flashy in the way that they are those things. Yeah. Especially, I think the, the first sequence with Patricia, uh, the editing in there is just redonkulous. Mm-hmm. Like, so many quick cuts to little insignificant shots, but they do a really good job of two things. One, establishing the space that you're in and two, kind of throwing you off balance. Like I think my favorite one is when um, she's talking about how they took her urine and her hair and now they've taken my eyes and then it cuts away to a uh, clumper's medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and she can see me now. And like, 
your subconscious like puts eyes on it. Yeah. It, and like, there's no reason to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But there's so many different little shots. Like it'll shoot like the leg of a chair for a half a second mm-hmm. or um, like the bookshelf or a light or a picture frame or whatever. And it, the camera's just jumping around so much in that room that it, it just throws you off balance right at the start. And it does that here and there throughout the film as well. There are other sequences where it'll do that to both establish a room and throw you off balance. I think it's a good way, especially in that scene, to put you in Patricia's state of mind as well because that's how she's looking at the room, I assume, Yeah, is that she's freaking out. She's looking at everything. There's even the one part in that scene where she sees the book with the eye on it and flips it over. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a great way to help us feel as like disoriented and like worried as she does because we see all these like insignificant objects that somehow seem to have significance because the camera's focusing on them but we don't know why or if they're significant yeah which is what she's going through as well for sure um there's also a number of quite impressive tracking shots that I feel like don't draw attention to themselves. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm a sucker for a big tracking shot. You watch something like children of men, um, which those are really flashy tracking shots, Mm -hmm. right? Like that, the intention there is that you're going to, is that you're like, holy cow, it's still going. But here they use tracking shots really effectively to establish space and to make, uh, movement of the characters very concrete in our minds. Because something that, like, you know, I'm talking like the polar opposite of this movie, something like, like the Marvel movies do, is especially during fight scenes, and this is a technique that they use, mm-hmm. like, especially during fight scenes, they have super quick, super jumpy cuts between many different takes of the fight scene. Yeah. And the idea is that you can't keep track of the people, basically. Like, you see somebody get hit with a punch, but then, you know, something else is happening instantly, and boom, 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 and all these different things are happening so quickly. Um, here it's, it's the total opposite. I think back to, again, the, the head exploding scene and there's the part of it where she goes down stairs and it's Olga and Patricia and Sarah standing there and she goes around and asks them all what they want and they all want to die. <clears throat> that whole thing where it, it, it takes her through each of them. That whole thing is one big shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it swings back around as she st- as she steps up onto kind of the pedestal. And then after she's up there, it cuts back to a wider angle shot. But that whole, there, there's maybe three or four good, just really excellent tracking shots um, during that whole sequence at the end that, again, make it feel like a real space that something is actually happening in. And you get a sense of, where things are in relation to each other and the movement is really really easy to track and and people are easy to keep track of in the space i don't know i think most of them that you've brought up have are like circular too like it's just spinning around a room rather than like going in and out of rooms or moving to a different space like it's just circling around the room yeah that's a good point yeah i think like the just the circular nature of it and like they're they're fairly close up long shots um but it's just it makes you feel like you're there and that it's all real like um 
the one scene where they're all just like improvising and it's just going around the room like you feel like you're Blanc just like walking around watching all the girls watching their technique and um yeah it just it feels like you're a part of it yeah for sure um we'd be remiss to talk about the editing as well without talking about the dream sequences which again are some of my favorite dream sequences in like any horror film ever um another thing that i noticed this time around with the dream sequences is I think it's the last long one um, right before Susie yells, I know who I am. We see Susie again in the dream with Blanc and she's like covering Blanc's mouth. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was a cool part that it, it almost made it seem like Susie was starting to take control of her dream as well and like put herself in there purposefully that's a cool interpretation of that because blanc does say that she's the one that sends Susie the dream so the idea of in the dream Susie covering blanc's mouth like yeah asserting control over the whole thing that's really that's a good pickup i just just because i was paying attention to anything that would show Susie as superiorum like that really stood out to me hmm that's really cool uh yeah i I compare these dream sequences to the ones in Rosemary's Baby. Have you seen that, Sid? Mm-mm. It's quite good. It's on my list for next year. Um, don't watch it with Austin. I wasn't planning to. He's a big baby. Yeah, he's not going to like that one. No. Um, you would hate it also. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm staying away from it. Do you, do you know like what it's about? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, spoilers for Rosemary's Baby then. Um, basically... Uh, the devil impregnates Rosemary and um, she has his baby. And that's the idea is that Rosemary's baby is the son of the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dream sequence in that movie is just absolutely phenomenal. Like it really makes me wish that Roman Polanski wasn't a pedophile because. Wouldn't that be nice? Here's the thing. He made Rosemary's baby pre pedophilia. So we're allowed to watch pre pedophilia Roman Polanski movies, but he made, the pianist which i haven't seen i did see it but i illegally downloaded it there you go So i didn't give him money also please don't tell the fbi yeah if you're going to watch any post pedophilia roman polanski or um really any woody allen ever or um anybody else that i'm missing um brian singer yeah brian singer uh just make sure that you pirate him yeah do some research. Because here's the thing. You Don't know what? Money. 21st Century Fox has enough movie. Or has enough money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need your money from you renting X-Men. Yeah. Right? Hugh Jackman has enough money. Patrick Stewart has enough money. <laughs> Brian Singer should not get any more money. Especially for Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, never watch Bohemian Rhapsody. Actually, we paid to go see that, and I'm very disappointed oh, in myself yeah. on multiple levels. I also paid to watch it. No, no, Guys, nobody's nobody's it. perfect. We have to end nobody's the podcast perfect. now. No. <laughs> our, our morality has been compromised. <laughs> what was I even saying? Oh, dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the, the, the sound design in them, the like backwards echoey voices, um, how violent the second one is specifically, because there's really only the two main dream sequences. The first one is pretty innocuous, right? Um, has that really excellent shot of, I don't even know who it is, 
but like clutching onto the door frame yeah. and oh my gosh, and that sliding so awesome. up. That's oh, such yeah. a freaking cool like one it's second just, like, of movie. The cool like reflection on the wall. Yeah, everywhere. It's just oh, it's so cool and it makes no sense and I love it. Yeah, and even you get that image of Blanc sitting on the ground and like crossing her arms in the weird way and her hair's all and her hair's in all in her face her. Like, i love that and for some reason they decided that was the image to put on the cover of the blu-ray which i'm fine with because it's a really cool shot but like don't see how it's like the defining image of the film yeah <laughs> um but then the second one gets a lot more violent there's like you know the arm is being cut and um like it even goes back to her mom lying in bed dying and I don't know, just the dream sequences are so good at being so unsettling mm-hmm. and I love that. I love to be unsettled by movies if you haven't picked up on that. And that's credit. I think a lot of it to uh, again the direction and the editing because it's so spastic in those dream mm-hmm. sequences. It's just, oh, it's just so good. I love it. I love it. Well, because that's what a dream is, and that's what a nightmare is. It's just like yeah, you can't really put it together. Like when I had a dream that another podcast was bagging on us. <laughs> 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 that made no sense. Um, yeah, freaking fantastic. Um, and then again, what more can be said about the score? Ugh. It's so good. It's such a ballsy score, like. You look at, I mean, I kind of, when I first heard that he was doing the music, I kind of assumed he would take the Johnny Greenwood route. Johnny Greenwood, also from Radiohead, for those of you who are not up to date on your UK rock bands. Um, also one of the, the greatest movie composers currently working today. He's really uh, orchestral in all of his scores, like very old school in the way that he puts together a score, which is very effective. But this is, this is uh, downright modern. There's drums in it. Like, um, but then I, I can't even imagine where you even start. Like um, my biggest respect for Tom York in this comes down to the composing of Volk. Oh my gosh. Oh, Oh, yeah. Like, how do you sit down and think I'm going to write the song that is really going to define this movie? Right so much pressure exactly like and how do you send that like how do you and when you come up with it and you send it to luca and you're like i think this is volk like that song is so off kilter and disorienting and especially the version that they do because there's two versions of it right there's like just the piano version but then there's the version they do when they actually do the performance and it brings in like the steel drums and then just the acoustic drum kit Mm -hmm. and like the, but the drum kit is almost like a like a like a break beat where it, it comes in for a second then it stops and it comes back in for a second and it stops and it comes back in for a second and it stops i keep punching my water bottle <laughs> um but it's just so effective and just being so weird yeah well and it's so much a modern dance song like if you go to any modern dance concert that's similar to what the songs sound like just like sounds that are the same sounds for a really really long time Mm -hmm. well and since it came out how many companies do you think have done dances for it can like it seems like it's tailor-made for that kind of thing oh Oh, yeah yeah like you wouldn't go to like a modern dance show and they'd be dancing to like lady gaga or something (laughs) it's gonna be like the weirdest thing but also like it's also got like a weird calming element to it yeah where Mm -hmm. it's like 
it's very smooth it is very smooth but like there's like weird elements that kind of just like creep you out a little bit unsettle you um and it's it's i think it's like great for the whole movie because like you know that like things are something wrong is happening but like also at the same time this music's playing and like it's kind of just like oh this is nice and then there's heads exploding everywhere and that's the other comment i want to make on the soundtrack is just the range of it right you have everything from volk to unmade Mm -hmm. which unmade is the song that plays during the head exploding part like and again it's just such a ballsy decision to put like what could essentially be a radiohead song over these images of her just going around exploding people's heads Mm -hmm. like you would think that would be a time to put in a big horror score right Because it almost, like, at first you might think it would make it less creepy, but it almost makes it more creepy. Yeah. And when you listen back to the soundtrack, you have, um, like, The Hooks, which is a great song. Um, So you have everything, like I said, from Volk to Unmade to, uh, I don't know all the names of the tracks, but the one that plays when um, the... Like, you're getting that tracking shot through the witch's house. And it plays again later as well. That one plays twice. Um, and then there's the one with... I forget what it's called. The one that's the, the intro where it's, like, playing over uh, Susie's house. Like, dun, 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 dun. like, in the beginning? Yeah. I think that's Unmade, too. It's not. It's not? Uh-uh. Because Unmade is more, like, the bouncy piano, like... Right. I don't remember what it's called. But... um. Yeah, like the the range that he goes through in the soundtrack to create different moods at different points is just really, really, really satisfying. Um, oh, I think that was just called Suspirium. Oh, okay. The one at the beginning. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The Jumps is a great song. Um, yeah. It's really, it's it's a fantastic album to go listen to. It's on spotify and every other major music service you should definitely listen to it though and i'm sure that i will be for the next few weeks because that's what always happens <laughs> when i watch Suspiria. but i think that that's i mean just to kind of round out my thoughts at least is all it's all of these different elements that seem to be coming from completely different places right you get this really aggressive editing style mixed with this really smooth cinematography mixed with this um kind of non-traditional narrative um mixed with this just really out there honestly score um and you say that you know the girl from 50 shades of gray is going to carry it like it's it's these kind of elements coming from so many different places that luca and this is where direction comes into it right is like luca takes all these things from so many different places and manages to make it into a cohesive whole and an effective one and not only effective but affecting like it it makes you feel things and it's beautiful and i love it and i think that's probably the conclusion of my thoughts about it i don't know if there's anything you guys want to talk about i think i pretty much covered how i feel about it and i'm actually at a point where i like it so i don't know i think that's all i have to say all right sid anything else before we get into trivia um no, I think just the still the best scene is the Olga scene. Have we not even talked about that? It's yeah, uh, 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 it's so good. The editing on that is incredible. 
and what a message to send, right? As you get into it and things are pretty chill up to that point. Yeah. And then like, it's like zero to a hundred. Oh yeah. It's like, oh shit's real. It's like, like she <laughs> is peeing her pants. Yeah. She, she does pee her just pants. like vomiting bile. Like it just throws you into it. And just like, so again, how so gruesome it is. Like, but it's so cool. It's so cool. Oh, I've never gosh. seen anything like that before. One time I was at work and I was just like, hmm, I want to watch that. So then I went to Amazon and just watched that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with that. I wouldn't be able to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we haven't also mentioned just the choreography Ugh. of everything is fantastic. It's so cool. I wonder who did it. Let's see. Um, where's the crew? This is fantastic podcasting. <laughs> Hang on. Um, we're looking here. Dancing coach, choreographic assistant. Well, that's a cool title. There were some things in trivia. Let me look. is so exciting oh yeah becca please tell us something from your week to fill the silence i don't want it to tell i can't find it i was just curious what other movies he or she potentially uh choreographed but i can't find anything so who cares um yeah well if that's it then we will jump Ooh, the director specifically thanked paul thomas anderson We should all specifically thank Paul Thomas Anderson in every aspect. He also specifically thanked Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright. Um, What a team. Also, in loving memory of Jonathan Demme, director of Silence of the Lambs. So that's cool. Um, Okay. What kind of trivia do we have here? Um, I don't have too much. Um, Pretty much. uh, The woman who plays Anka, um, the doctor's wife, as you said while we were watching it, um, played Susie in the original Suspiria, Jessica Harper. Um, in an interview, Dakota Johnson revealed that the intensity of the shoot had effed her up so much that she had to go to therapy, which <laughs> I've only seen wow. it, and I feel like I need more therapy in my life. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I'm going to jump in here. So the person who did the choreography was... Oh, that makes so much um, sense. What's his name? I just lost it. Damien Gillet, and he also did the choreography for Anima, which is the Tom York short film on Netflix. That so. is such an incredible short film. Oh my god! I still haven't watched it. I really need to. It's it's very now that like you said that it makes sense because it's very much the same style. Great. Kind of just like we should watch it. it. We should. It's only fifteen minutes long. Yeah. Um, Luca Guadagnino began uh, filming this four months after finishing work on Call Me by Your Name. Jeez, no rest for the wicked man. Wow. Um, at two and so a half hours. So he started filming. Yeah. That was, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, at two and a half hours, this remake is nearly an hour longer than the original. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Can we really quickly? I I mentioned that I oh, wanted yeah. to talk about that, but I totally spaced on yeah, it. So there's a, there's a couple interesting ways. Um, this is really only like it's it's this is a reimagining of the original more than it is a remake of the original. If you have seen it, if you have not seen it, it's quite good. And definitely worth watching. 
Um, it's it's uh, made by Dario Argento, and I'm no expert on Italian horror by any means, but from what I understand is that his kind of claim to fame is that he makes these really atmospheric, uh, narratively loose, very visually stimulating horror films. And that's exactly what uh, the original Suspiria is. It's very, very, very colorful. Uh, the soundtrack in it is absolutely mind-blowing. It is so good. Um, but it, the narrative on it is even looser than in this one like it's it's like yep she's Susie she likes to dance and oh, yep witches but then like Susie just like goes down to the basement one day and finds mother Marcos and stabs her and kills her and that's where the movie ends <laughs> oh geez <laughs> um but yeah it's it's quite good it's very like I said very visually stimulating um the soundtrack is mind-blowing and it's definitely definitely worth a watch um very stylized violence and gore um but so a handful of the ways that it calls back to uh the original is like i said that scene at the beginning where there's the punks in the subway um and then i think that the thing that they most were able to adapt from the original is the look and feel of the dance studio um they do a very good job of it it feels very similarly specifically some of the uh longer corridors and stuff like that there's also the scene where we see sarah counting her steps um that's something that uh susie does in the original to as she explores the dance studio to kind of she realizes there's like trick doors and stuff so to keep track of where she is she counts her steps um so that's throwing back to the original it doesn't end up having a big effect on this but it literally is just kind of a wink to everybody who has seen the original um and yeah, I just I, I think it's I think it's again it's a really ballsy move for him to say I'm gonna remix Suspiria and then just like only kind of tangentially even be <laughs> similar to it. So good job, Luca. Um, one more thing is that uh, jump, one more thing I wanted to mention about the dream sequences that I thought of as I was talking here is that a lot of the kind of more abstract visuals of the dream sequences end up coming back into play later on. I think specifically there's the scene where it shows like the dark tunnel and the empty hallway uh, during, I think, the second one. And we see uh, Susie walking down that same dark tunnel on her way to the ritual. And that Ah. big empty dark hallway is the one that has Marcos at the end of it. So we see like these kind of more abstract uh, visuals of the interior of buildings and those end up coming into play later on mm-hmm. so i thought that was kind of cool mm-hmm. my apologies for cutting off your no you're fine uh trivia um okay so the first footage of this premiered at CinemaCon in 2018 and many audience members left midway through because it was intense and disturbing Jeez. so it makes sense yeah. um so this movie was actually in development from like the early 2000s um when David Gordon Green was attached to direct, Natalie Portman was set to star. Mm. So she could have been in two horror ballets. I don't know if she could have. No, she. I don't think she could have. She's just herself. got a different. Her her vibe in Black Swan is much more innocent than yeah. what Dakota Johnson ever I does here. I don't think she could have, like, not seemed. So Who was innocent. supposed to direct? Did you say? Um, David Gordon Green. What has he done? I'm curious. He, oh, he's not. Oh, there we go. Um, well, he directed the 2018 Halloween reboot. Ugh. 
think um, I think we can all agree it's a good thing. Directed Pineapple okay. Express. Yeah. All right. Huh. I'm glad we got Luca. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Luca said that he wanted to separate this one from the original by toning down the the colors and making it more like wintry and subdued um and even just like thinking about that like through the whole movie it's super um unsaturated and there's hardly any color but in the very last scene it's like summer and we see the doctor's house and it's like all bright and green um so yeah i didn't notice that till this time cool um this is the fifth collaboration between luca and tilda swinton i need to go back and watch more luca movies I've seen A Bigger Splash and, of course, Call Me By Your Name. You've seen Call Me By Your Name? No, what's that movie? I don't know. It's, I think Luca directed it. I've heard oh. it's pretty good. Oh. As we stare at the poster of it on the wall. Giant <laughs> Call Me By Your Name poster <laughs> on the wall. Oh, that movie. I was wondering what that was. Um, So, Dario Argento, he did c- give permission to remake this, but he was super mad about it because it it's not a remake he said either you do exactly the same way in which case it's not a remake it's a copy which is pointless or you change things and make another movie in that case why call it Suspiria well from everything I've read Dario Gento is kind of a prick so yikes Um, also when David Gordon Green was attached uh, Judy Dench was rumored to play Blanc she maybe could have pulled that off. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Luca Guadagnino, he used the actors who played Mafalda in Call Me By Your Name. Um, and she plays Alberta in this one. She's like hardly even in Which it. Which one though. is Alberta? She's pretty much the only scene that I recognized her in was the scene where they're like taking away Olga's body. Hmm. That's hmm. the only scene. Um... Oh, Luca Guadagnino said this is his most personal movie because of the way that everything started with it. Does it give any... In- I don't what know does what that, that mean? Means. I don't know. All right. Um, so it was kept under wraps that Tilda Swinton played uh, the doctor. Um, they gave like a fake um, credit to him in the movie. Um, and they even went as far as to saying like they didn't do this but they had a plan to say that he died before the movie premiered so like it would make sense that he's not at the premiere but then they just decided like there were people on set who didn't even know that it was total swinton here's the thing i read the reddit thread on this movie there were a lot of people complaining like oh it was so obvious why couldn't they have just gotten somebody to play him i freaking had no idea until afterward like I don't know what kind of detective work y'all are doing that yeah. you're saying it was obvious that that was like, Tilda Swinton. The only thing I would say is the second time around, I can hear her voice. That's what I was going to say. But I, When you're looking for it, but not. Like, there's a scene where she's completely nude. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's her in just, like, a nude suit or if, like, they superimposed Maybe. her head. But you can't tell. Yeah. And it's, what are they talking about? Yeah. Um. The dance hall mirrors with Olga um, is said to have close to zero CGI. Um, wow. That's Yeah. I figure, like, watching it, CGI was probably used in, like, her face, like, when they, like, oh, show yeah. her jaw, like, moving. Um, but Elena Fokina is a trained contortionist and a ballet dancer. 
Wow. And has hypermobility in her joints. I would have bet you money that that was Elizabeth Olsen in some makeup the first time I saw this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It took about five hours to fit Chloe Grace Mortiz and Elena Fokina in their uh, decomposition makeup for the finale. Oh, jeez. I can't even imagine how long Tilda Swinton was in makeup for the old man. Oh, my gosh. And for Marcos. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so good. And then despite being top billing, um, one of the top billing, Chloe Grace Mortiz is only in about six minutes of the movie. I do have to correct you there. Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh. It's just, it's, oh, you're right. It was bugging me. Sorry. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know why she gets top billing. Yeah. Even over Tilda Swinton. Really? Yeah. Huh. huh. Yeah, the billing goes as follows. Chloe Grace Moretz, Tilda Swinton, Doris Hick, who played Miss Sesame, and then Malgarzata Bella, who plays the mom, and then Dakota Johnson, and then everybody what? else. It's weird. I don't know. Weird. Um, yeah, Mia Goth is like down towards the bottom, and she plays Sarah. What the? Huh. Wacky. Um, there's a brief uh, final shot of Susie right at the end of the credits, where she like does like a, a hand move. And, she like, does the same one that um, uh, Blanc does when they're eating in Blanc's quarters, and Blanc comes out of the bathroom and does just kind of like the hand wave oh, down. Okay. She does that same one, but okay. like to the audience. <gasps> oh. Puts a spell on you. And that's all I have for you. Well, excellent. Cool. All right, folks. Let's do it. Final thoughts and square to 10. Becca, what do you got? All right. Well, it's a good thing that we're doing the podcast on the third try for Let's this hope movie. So. <laughs> because my score is much higher than it would have been after the first or second time. I swear, if Suspiria had the lowest rating of any movie, I would die. The it, lowest we cannot rate it lower than I was gonna it. say the lowest that a movie has ever been rated by any member of the podcast was I gave it chapter two a three. <laughs> <laughs> um but like this movie really is amazing. Like even take away any like negative feelings I had toward it the first time, like the craft of it is absolutely incredible. And it really is a movie that like helps me, someone who doesn't know a lot about film, understand and recognize things like the importance of narrative, editing, music, directing, like all of that. Like this is a movie that I can watch it and understand that and see the importance of it. Um, so for those reasons, even more than just liking it, my score is an 8.8. Great. Um, yeah, I really like this movie. I don't have too much else to say, um, other than where I may not love the narrative and like kind of, um, the violence and disturbing parts of the movie. Um, I love the craft of it and, just all around there it's it's so well done um i'm gonna give this one 8.9 all right folks here comes i said i was undecided at the beginning and over the course of the podcast i have decided on a number is it a high number no i'm gonna give it a (laughs) 2.8 just to rate it worse than it chapter two no um this is one i've been playing with for a long time i've kind of been excited and glad that i didn't have to give it a rating up till now because um i just didn't know um, but especially after sitting down and actually like talking through it with you guys and everything like that, I think that for me, uh, this movie is a 10. Nice. Look at you giving away your tens. 
No, I just have the loudest mouth when it comes to choosing movies. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, 8.8, 8.9, and a 10. What, like a 9.4, 9.3? Yeah. I just only have two movies right now that are perfect 10s in That's all of the movies. Wait. Tree of Life and... A Ghost Story. Okay. Which we haven't watched yet. Let's see. So how I many... I can't rate it yet. I have given... On, on the podcast, I have given 10s to... Tree of Life, Her, Blade Runner 2049, Dancer in the Dark. I just need to see again, but I'm pretty sure it's 10. Uh, Black Swan, uh, There Will Be Blood, and Suspiria. I think I've only given two 10s. Sid, you gave a 10 to Her and The Dark Knight. Okay. Yeah. I think that Dancer in the Dark is probably a 10 for me, and if we watch Boyhood, I'd probably give that a 10. Yeah, Boyhood's probably a 10. We'll do that at some point. Yeah. All right. Well, this concludes our discussion of Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Um, let's not spend too much time on other topics, just because we could talk forever about how last night we saw The Lighthouse, <laughs> and it was incredible, and I love it, and I immediately want to watch it again, and it was so good, and Robert Eggers is a genius, and I just want him to come out with more movies. That's it. That's all you're going to say about it? Yeah. He's going to, if you give him any more time, it's just over. Like, I really am. I've been true. thinking about it a lot. Beck and I talked about it a long time after you guys left last night. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And holy cow. <laughs> it is really good. Um, A couple of small things. We watched a bunch of horror movies. I watched Kill Bill, parts one and two. Oh, what'd you think? I loved them. Yeah. They're not my favorite of his, but I really liked them. Sure, but it's quite a bar. Yeah. They were phenomenal. I really yeah. liked them. Yeah, they're really fun. Um, we watched Southbound, which is like an anthology style horror movie. Five it's fun. Five little mini stories in an hour and a half. It was That's pretty cool. good. It was fun. Um, I watched Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. Oh. That was quite good. A friend of mine recommended it to me, and I I listened to it. So or I watched it, and there you go. You watch anything else, Becca? No, just the horror movies for October. All right. Said, so, you have anything exciting you watched? Um, I watched The Fighter. It's quite good. Yeah, right? it was really good. We tried to watch it a few weeks ago, and then I was really tired, and we passed out. Mm. Um, so we finished it last week. It was really good. Mm. Um, and then we saw Insomnia. It's uh, ooh the Nolan. Yeah, nice. Not as good as his other ones. Um, like I would probably say with all the ones that I've seen, bottom tier. Um, that's to be understood. He was starting yeah, yeah. out. Yeah, he was starting out like. Me and Austin talked about it after how it seemed like it was kind of like his bridge into like big Hollywood movies where he had yeah. Memento where it's just like weird like general audiences probably wouldn't like that one as much. So it was like kind of more of a basic plot line, not with his normal weirdness to it, um, but you used to just kind of like he has bigger names in the movie, bigger budget. Um, so yeah, it was pretty good, but just not his best. Cool. And... That's all that I've been watching. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we hope you join us next week. We're taking a completely different tone. Next week, we'll be watching Coco in honor of Day of the Dead. <laughs> so, Yes, because October's been hard. Yeah, probably movies. the biggest polar opposite of Suspiria that you could possibly ask for. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so via email at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or slide into the DMs, Facebook, or Instagram at wewatchpodcast. Um. But yeah, apart from that, we thank you for joining us on this journey of 31 days of October. Um, we know that we 
have picked maybe some more challenging movies to do episodes on this month, but we wanted to do that, so we did. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we thank you, we love you, and we'll see you next week. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.